Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Uh, this week, we're very excited to bring you um, what I guess is unique. Um, we've, you know, brought you live readings before, but we've never, ever, ever brought you a booked live reading. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, one of those Russian dolls, like the nesting dolls. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's kind of like that. I can see that. Um, you know why we've never brought anybody a booked live reading? This is our first ever booked live reading. It's our first goddamn ever booked live reading. How cool is that? Everybody's about to be able to hear and judge for themselves, but <laughs> I had a great time. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess they are going to hear it for themselves. So, you know, we could have just done this in one episode, right? Uh, it would have been, yeah, I guess, I mean, it wouldn't have been our longest episode. <laughs> no, but there was too much goddamn awesome packed into this. So... Um, we're not going to talk for much longer here because we're probably just going to be repetitive and say the same things that you're about to hear us say. But uh, uh, tonight we're bringing you two readers. Um, we're not even going to give you bios because you're going to hear those. But first, Brayton Cameron, also known as, better known as, I should say, Skip Paversley, um, was our MC for the evening. So you're going to hear a lot from him. Uh, he's going to be followed by Richard Thomas reading Flowers for Jessica. Um yeah, what a what a way to start that <laughs> off as a as a nice family friendly you know reading that that we were having. Yeah, I think um, he he kind of I have to imagine that Richard, being the you know, the relationship that we have with him and the kind of jokey back and forth we have, probably thought he was doing it as a joke. But I was like, oh, this is nice. I'm glad he's like not pulling punches. I was kind of happy he went with a a freaky kind of weird story. Yep, I am too. And then uh, speaking of freaky and weird, um, right after that, you're going to hear Joshua Allen Beach with his story, Alas. Um, pretty goddamn awesome. The f- funny thing about that, people will understand after they hear it, but um, uh, so it's kind of got a Shakespearean kind of Hamlet thing going on. And um, two different people that were at the reading, one, a coworker of mine, uh, had recently gone to like a Shakespeare festival like she yeah like a big thing mm-hmm. and uh another person a friend i've known forever uh happened to be the obligation that he had after uh being at our reading was something that had to do with hamlet as well so like it was a very like there were some shakespeare themes rolling through the the room that night dude it must have been pretty weird for them to find someone that writes better than shakespeare I know they're like, well, now everything else is going to be disappointing. Shakespeare I'd, got put in his place. I'd much rather read Josh Deach than I would Shakespeare. That's true. He uses the modern English too, so that's helpful. Yeah, I, I actually understood everything. So, um, but uh, yeah, let's uh, let's let you guys get onto it. Uh, and uh, here is uh, here here's something weird. Uh, here's Rob and Livius. Okay, I think we're going to get started. As long as there's no weird mic here, I think we're sounding okay, right? Do we sound okay? We sound great. Great? All right, to start it off like we would any other time, welcome to Booked. Uh, This is our first live reading, and um, we're going to kind of, thank you, bounce back and forth a little bit. 
but uh, welcome. Thank you. All right, so here's the thing we just learned about a live reading. This isn't like every other time when we do our show when we can start half hour late because we have really important Facebooking to do, gossiping about the writers or anything like that. So our apologies for the late start. Um, but thank you. Thank you for coming out. Um, thank you to people from Wisconsin and Kentucky and North Carolina and wherever else anybody's from. Thank you for taking the time to come out and see us here tonight. All right, so we are doing this in celebration of the release of the book to anthology, a collection of stories that um, we just finished up. A, uh, it's a collection of 25 stories written all by authors who have been guests on our podcast over the last 162 episodes, I think we're at now. Um, so it's nice to get everybody together and uh, kind of work on a big project together. So it's all done, finally. <laughs> all right, so tonight you're going to be hearing from five of those writers. We have Joshua Allen Beach. David James Keaton. Richard Thomas. All the way in the back there, Kevin Lynn Helmick. And Chris Deal. But that's not all. For those of you who have listened to the show, um, the voice of Skip Papersley is here with us tonight, and he's going to be our MC. All right, a little bit about uh, his actual name is Braden Cameron. Uh, it's so much less. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Some only know him as the voice of uh, Skip Papersley on our podcast. Uh, Booked News, a little segment that we do uh, where he's like an old-timey reporter and he's telling us about what's going on with books and everything. Um, he's also Braden Cameron, and uh, he has a podcast of his own called The Pitch, which I'm not going to tell you about because we're here for us. <laughs> so, uh, that microphone would be mine soon enough. Yeah, I guess, yeah, he's going to run wild. He can do whatever he wants when he's up here. Uh, so, I think that's going to do it for us for now. Braden's going to take over. We're going to fix that. Yeah, before we're going to fix over. Oh, are we? After. we <laughs> wait, show of hands, do you like a big squealing noise while people are talking? No, all right, we'll have to figure out what's going on then. Um, so, we'll bring up Braden in a second. He's going to start introducing authors. Once we figure out the weird microphone. We're not audio people like this. We only do a podcast. We're going to look at some settings. All right, good. Check those settings. This is the part that we would edit out. It's tough doing this live. Did everyone see Rob's tattoo? I got it. All right, so. This is not a communicable disease as it might first appear. I got a podcast that says, or a, a tattoo that says booked. And it looks like ink all over my arm, which you realize from a distance kind of looks like I have some sort of disease. But up close, it looks cool. Okay. Hey. All right. So we're gonna start over again. Everything we said, forget about it. I'm just kidding. Here's Brian Cameron. Thank you. Hi, everybody. We're gonna hear some happy stories tonight. Who here wants to hear a happy? actually aren't going to hear any answers. No, I don't know what we're going to hear. Um, we're here to celebrate, of course, the what I hope is the inaugural 
uh, books uh, reading. I'd like there to be more. I know this we haven't even gotten anywhere with this one, but I just like everyone in this room a lot. <laughs> like a lot. <laughs> Some of you know why. Anyway, we have a, a reader that's going to be uh, joining us. Well, he'll be up here by himself reading you all a story. And his name's Richard Thomas. I met him moments ago. He seems like a charming gent. But did you know he's also an author? Coincidentally, all of our readers here, authors. He's the author of three books, Transubstantiate, Herniated Roots, and Staring into the Abyss. Over 75 publications include Shivers, Volume 6, Cemetery Dance with Stephen King and Peter Straub. Pank, did I pronounce that correctly? Pank. Extra emphasis on the K is written here. Depends on where you're from. Some put extra emphasis on the Some put on your Okay, well, it's a Midwest thing to add extra Ks. So, all right, so Pank, Gargoyle, Weird Fiction Review, Midwestern Gothic, Arcadia, the Pier Noir, or Pear Noir, sorry. Uh, he's also the editor of two anthologies, uh, both out in 2014, The Lineup and Burnt Tongues. In his spare time, he writes the Nervous Breakdown, uh, or writes for the Nervous Breakdown, Lit Reactor, and is the editor-in-chief of the Dark House Press. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Richard Thomas. Thank you all for being here tonight. Sorry about that lengthy introduction. First of all, thanks for coming out. Um, thanks to Rob and, and Livius for having me in this collection. Um, you know, when your friends say they're going to edit and put together an anthology, you think, all right, great. Shoe in, I'm definitely in. I'm not worried about this. I'm like, they're just going to take my story. And I decided to write something a little different, a little more straight horror instead of my usual kind of weird neo noir stuff. And um, it kind of goes back to this moment at AWP, a writing conference, when I saw this movie called Paranormal Activity. And, I wanted to do something that just really kind of that might actually scare somebody. And so I send it in, and then I, then I wait, <laughs> and I wait, and I wait. And like I want to send them an email and go, hey, are you taking the story? You know, but I'm trying to be cool and professional and casual about it. Um, eventually, they took the story. But I, I thought it was nice that they may score and wait for a bit. So, um, so I'm thrilled to be in this collection. Um, a lot of great authors in there. If you like dark stories, if you like stories that take chances, then pick up a copy. Um, what I'm going to be reading tonight is not my story from the anthology. You have to buy it to read that one, which is called Surrender. Um, but what I'm reading tonight is a story called Flowers for Jessica. Um, and the bio announcement earlier that he, uh, he mentioned Weird Fiction Review, and that's where it was published. Um, I started writing stories that were a little more about magical realism and a little bit um, the center of a lot of my stories tends to be dark, and I tend to write a lot of tragedies. So I tried to write stories that were a little more nostalgic, um, dare I say romantic, with kind of love at the center of it, but um, the story still turns out pretty weird and dark and strange. So, um, so my wife doesn't read much of my writing. <laughs> um, but here's that story. It's called Flowers for Jessica, and I hope you like it. Doctors had no answer for me. Something wrong with her heart. That's all that I heard. 
All they could hint at with their stone faces and cold hands, constantly checking their watches, places they needed to be. Except now that Jessica was gone, there was nowhere I needed to be, and nowhere I wanted to go. She liked the woods, embraced nature with every fiber of her constantly distracted mind. She wandered off every chance she got, communing and dancing, her silhouette spinning in many a, many a field of wild flowers. It gave me great pleasure to share that joy with her. When I found her body in the deep grasses, weeds and vines bent over from the edge of the forest, she looked peaceful, asleep, hands resting on her chest. We'd been hiding from each other, playing a little game. The reward was supposed to be her soft kisses, my hands traversing her ivory skin, a stolen moment away from the city, away from the smoke and noise and drudgery of work and broken dreams. It only took a short drive north, away from our home, and the echoes of lost children, the bloody rags that lined our garbage cans, the dusty crib that lay barren and quiet. I didn't bring it up anymore, didn't dare ask where we were, what the plan was, or how to move forward. Too many nights I'd find her at the kitchen table, empty glass of wine, empty bottle, her eyes a million miles away, her hands torn and bleeding, wads of paper in her mouth as she chewed, broken glass littering the table. It was a room filled with anger, a thick layer of frustration, sadness and an undying urge to hurt someone, to strike out in vengeance for the random pain that surrounded us. I'd carry her upstairs, a bundle of sticks, and place her on our bed. When she'd reach for me, catatonic, dead behind the eyes, I'd push her away. It wasn't her. Her body called to me, begged me to fill her with life, but her eyes, her diminished mind, was anywhere but here. Fractured, that's the word that comes to mind. I can see myself in our car, drifting down the highway. I can see her at the table, a ghost. I can picture the forest, her lying in the damp green blanket of grass, and I can see what I did next in excruciating detail. It started as a way to honor her, to hold on to her shape, her shadow, the outline of her body flattening the greenery, the depth of the grasses, the weeds withering and turning brown, flower buds that had bared witness to her heartbreak, shriveled and lying on the ground. I simply lay down in her outline, lay there in the woods, the grass, and tried to imagine what she had been thinking, tried to embrace her pain and longing. Insects buzzed at the periphery of my body heat, the sun above cooking the forest and the fields, a shimmer watching, washing over me. <clears throat> my body glistened with sweat, the droplets running off my bare skin and into the earth below me. Soon my tears joined the trickle of sweat running down the sides of my face as I bellowed and wailed, alone in the world. Things were just beginning. Days later, unable to focus on life in the real world, unable to be anywhere else, I returned to the forest to find the dark outline of my body, overlapping the space where she expired, filled with tiny flowers, buds of yellow and pink and lavender, pushing up from the shadows. Wildflowers. I didn't dare lie down on them, these slivers of sweetness and light. I had no water with me, no creek nearby, nothing but blue sky and a shiver in my bones. When I returned the next day, I stopped at the edge of the clearing, sucking in air, frozen. The flowers had grown, weaving in amongst themselves, her shape appearing in the layers of green. I held in my hands an old milk jug filled with water, 
heavy and slick in my sweating fingers. I approached her with apprehension, wind pushing through the leaves of the forest, small creatures tangled in the undergrowth, cracking and rustling, the shrill cry of some lost and frightened bird. I opened the jug and poured it over her, over the flowers and vines and grasses. I traced the outline down her head, over her shoulders, to her arms and legs, and back to the top again. I created a small puddle where her brain would surely grow, another in her chest where her heart might come to life. And then I walked away. Unsteady, I tripped over my feet, glancing back over my shoulder. My desire was uncertain. I didn't come back the next day. Busy at work, I thought. Things I needed to do. These are the lies that I told myself when she came to me in my dreams in the dark. I ached for her, my hands trembling constantly, a dull throbbing in my temples, and yet I'd lost my mind. Nowhere else to go, my vision filled with flashes of wildflowers and creeping vines, and I find myself, found myself back in the forest. I stood at the edge of the clearing, her body expanding and, con and contracting, her chest filling with air. She was still a shell, one glorious red rose in the center of her heart, a gathering of white buds at her head. When I summoned the courage to approach and kneel next to her, the wind picked up, whispering to me things I needed to do. I shook my head. The trees bent under the gusts of wind, the long grasses of the field waving back and forth. More, it whispered. <clears throat> I lay next to Jessica and the rustle of flowers and leaves as her head turned towards me. It caused my pounding heart to shudder and stop. I listened to her wishes, to the wind and the heady perfume of the wildflowers. I was weak. I stood as the sun set and unzipped my jeans and drenched the flowers in grass. There was a withering crawl of vines, the minerals and vitamins of my urine washing over her translucent skin. Nausea rolled over me and I turned and walked away. What was I doing? Again, I stayed away, fearful of what might come next. But she haunted my dreams, begged me to return, to finish the job and bring her all the way back. I hesitated at the door to our home several times. I'd retreat into the house and pour myself a tumbler of amber over and over until her voice faded into the walls. It was no use. I could not stay away. Her final request was beyond me. The thought of such action repulsed me. I told her it was impossible. I couldn't make lust out of wishes. Her skin was no longer translucent. It was a pale earth tone creeping vines still visible under her skin, the blooming rose sighing in her chest. <clears throat> Two violet blossoms stared back at me from her hardening skull, tracking my every move. I could see her naked form now as I stood above her, her body writhing in the grass and shadows, begging me to complete this act, to plant my seed among the other buds and seedlings that trembled at my feet. Two pink buds stood out in her chest, her right hand drifting down into the mossy growth between her legs, the wind picking up again, a hot breath in my ears, my neck, a desert of heat emerging from nowhere. I found myself aroused. As the sun disappeared into the horizon and the darkness pulled us in, I ran my hand up and down my slick flesh, a stammering in my chest, my breath caught and lost. Bountiful, she gasped and trembled. 
my prayers for forgiveness disappearing into the woods. It took me a week to come back, and a part of me thought that maybe I could stay away forever. That maybe I didn't need to see this to completion, my insanity confirmed. My selfish needs and desire to see Jessica again manifested in some horror of acts committed out of desperation. But I returned, eventually. Was there ever really any doubt? She was lying at the edge of the forest, naked in the sunlight that pushed to the rim of the woods, her fragile silhouette disappearing in the sunbeams, reappearing in the shade. She didn't say anything when I came upon her. She didn't ask why it had taken me so long to return. She didn't question the tears that ran down my face. She opened her arms and beckoned me to her. And I knelt down and then lay down, her arms wrapping around me, then her legs, pulling me in, pulling me under, until we were whole once again. Thank you. scientists in a top-secret biotech project known only as Agent Orange. He, is genetically, uh, he was genetically designed, honed, and perfected to only do two things, write stories and strangle baby otters. Please encourage his writing career at joshuadeach.com. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, our next reader, Joshua Allen. service hours. Victimless <laughs> crime. Uh, my story is also not from the anthology. I'll have to buy it. Uh, it's, this is very new. I'm still fiddling around with it. It's called Alas. Nine times the spade sighed. Nine times the pair of us clowns went to work. We used to be grave diggers, but the jester skull turned us into clowns. Nine reposing so very sweetly. You know the story, or so you think, some things rot in Denmark. Nine sighs, nine rings from a phone, nine holes dug, two spades, two clowns, eighteen coys in the eyes, and we knew not who the toll was for, but the skull knows. 
And nine times we sang the song, it taught us. The blood, it is red. The drowned, they are blue. Beware the dreadful pennies, everyone gets two. That skull had a tongue, tongue in it. That skull had a tongue in it and could sing once, so they say. Ch -ch -ch. The sigh, the song, the pair of us clowns buried the two friends, rose in something and gilled another, brought back from abroad. They were the last of the nine. Long ago, as boys, they laughed and jeered at the jester when he, for once, fell out of pain rather than comedy, and he twisted a crack in his ankle, and the boys would not help him up, only flung spoonfuls of scalding soup, and he never walked proper after that. Ch -ch -ch. The sigh, the song, the pair, the pair of us clowns buried the brother of the girl. He had a bell, he had a belly full of poisoned sword, the one he scratched the prince with out of vengeance for the girl and their father. Long ago, as a boy, he pissed in his sister's pudding and blamed the jester. There was a flogging. Ch -ch -ch. The sigh, the song, before the brother, the pair of us clowns buried the sister. Waterlogged she was, she had a great fall. The story goes she tripped into madness over the death of her father and the scorn of her princely love. But who knows what lies beneath the crust, hmm? Who knows what we clowns dug up when it whispered to us, when it felt stronger on a diet of dire mirth and wanted more direct involvement in the acts. There were murmurs in her dreams, and she followed them to the bone garden. She pressed the jester's bony... She pressed the jester's skull to her ear and heard secrets like the ocean in a shell. And the pair of us clowns danced with her. And the jester's skull taught her how to laugh at her father's death. She returned again and again with flowers and herbs for the skull, and it gave her blooming bouquets of maggots. And she kissed the lipless lips, tongue, and turned the crooked grin and swirling in the two dry socket holes. And she pressed the rictus to her neck and other places besides. She climbed a great height, and whether we clowns pushed her off, or she threw herself, who was there left to say? But she laughed the whole way down. Long ago, she told the jester that he was ugly, with the grave honesty of a toddler. It hurt more than it should. Ch -ch -ch. The sigh, the song, before the girl, we buried her father, a most excellent book banquet of worms. The prince killed him. A rash mistake with just the proper agitation and the proportion. The father hid in a bad place at a worse time, and a naked blade tickled the eels in his belly. Long ago, the father had buggered a cook the jester was sweet on. As they churned on the table, the jester watched from the shadows, crushing a freshly writ sonnet in his soggy hand. Ch -ch -ch. The sigh, the song. We buried the queen on the day we dug four holes of the nine. She drank the poison from the cup meant for the prince. Long ago, she accidentally stepped on the jester's toe. It hurt mildly. Ch -ch -ch. Translated from shovel to Latin means memento mori. I reminded the other clown of this on the day we buried our second king. The skull, the jester's skull, taught us how to speak to spades. This king was a new king, the uncle of the prince. And the story goes that he poured poison in his brother's ear. But what is the source of this rumor? A conversation between a prince and his father's ghost? The story also goes that the new king showed his guilt by fleeing a staged play. But if a ghost can visit one man, 
why not another? Why not whisper something disturbing about the nephew, something confirmed by his plotted play? A whisper can set tiny tragedies to tumbling in a chain. We all fall down, or so the shovels say. Long ago, the king, well, the jester cannot recall the king ever giving him offense, but he must have. Shh, shh, the sigh, the song. The pair of us clowns buried the prince, our hero, black-clad avenging angel, bringing a reckoning for the murder of his father. If the story goes, he hesitated, hung himself and others in nooses of indecision, unsure if the ghost that visited him was his father, or if it was a malevolent shade wearing that form familiar. Some call this weakness, but is that not harsh? Perhaps it was momentary wisdom. After all, a fool can make himself into another. That is a trick of his trade, and the chewing of the worms cannot take it away. I knew him, said the prince when he held the, when he held the skull. But how well does any man know his fellow? Did the young prince really know what can hide behind a smile, behind teeth? Where are your jibes now, the prince asked, and Calamity answered, he is a man of infinite jest. Long ago, as a boy, the prince rode the jester's back. The fool could speak hilarity in a dozen languages, knew 64 ways to get a laugh with only his eyebrows, and had mastered exquisite puppetry techniques in faraway lands that the boy sought only to ride him like an animal for his amusement. Night and day, riding his back and his poor twisted ankle, and dignity dies by inches. And yet all of these slights could have been born except the sigh, the song. Before these other eight, we pair of clowns buried the old king, the prince's father. They'll say his brother poured poison in his ear, but he died of words, words, words. But no one else was there to hear the whisper in his ear the night it all began. Long ago, the old king did a thing, a very bad thing. Thing. That thing is not ever to be repeated, nor the poison words the jester poured down his ear, even as he smiled in wormy earth. Frowning is a fleshy enterprise, and some skulls have more reason than others to grin. The jester skull watched his dolls, his mummers, his geysers, watched the whole bloody puppet show cheering, that's the way to do it. But there was no one to hear save us clapping clowns. Then the curtain dropped, and all of our players dropped. Once upon a time, the jester skull called out, and two simple gravediggers joined the cult of clowns. We anointed our faces with grease paint. We wandered the bone garden. Sometimes we dig up the nine and perform the whole bloody play over again before the audience sockets. The play is the tragedy, and its hero, the skull. We built it a shrine, gave it the nine fingers we took. Only nine players? Surely there must be another. Surely someone else offended the jester. There is always room for one more, and all the world is a stage. Even now, we pair of clowns kneel before the shrine, where reposes the skull, fingers glued to its dome like a growing crown. We try to smile as big as the rictus, and we pray. The blood, it is red. The drowned, they are blue. A bad thing happened to Yorick, may a bad thing happen to you.
take a quick 15-minute break. I guess it's not a quick, it's an actual 15-minute break. There's no other way to do that. So uh, get yourselves a drink, have a cigarette out front if you'd like. We'll be back here in 15 for more readers. Okay, and that was Livia sending us off to a quick 15-minute break. Uh, the thing that, all right, the strange thing about doing uh, intros and outros to your own reading is that you're kind of like, you have to play off yourself. So you've kind of already said everything you'd naturally want to say, right? Yeah. 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 It's a little weird. <laughs> well, the other weird part is all of our parts would have sounded better if they were part of this podcast because we would have done a second or a third or a fourth take. Um, and yeah. you know what? You can't edit live. It's it's horrible. I never really it didn't dawn on me until I was standing in front of that microphone that whatever I say, it's coming out like that's it. So there's no going back and retaking it. Yeah. And there was like a couple times where I think it's coming up in the next episode, but I'm just at one point I just say, oh, yeah, I forgot what I was going to say. So I'm going to move on. <laughs> and uh, then later on, I know I sent a text to Brayton at one point asking him, did we mention this? Because <laughs> it's all stuff that like we would just like interrupt ourselves and, and talk mm-hmm. about and then continue, but we can't do that live. Yeah. Yeah. So people are seeing that's, that's like a good behind the scenes look. And quite honestly, it's the first time I've stood up in front of that many people and had to, to do this shtick. Cause uh, usually it's me in a quiet little room by myself. It's true. Well, that's a new muscle we get to, uh, to train. Yep. So, uh, all right. So we'll let you go for this. We'll talk more about some of the behind the scenes stuff uh, in our next episode. Um, so come back in just a couple of days. We'll have uh, stories from Kevin Helmick and Chris Deal. Until then, I'm Olivia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. <laughs>